Good evening, church. Our scripture this evening comes from Psalm 103, verses 6 through 19. This says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant, and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Emily. Uh, the title of uh, a brief homily, and I'm going to keep it a homily this evening, is uh, He Knows Our Frame. And I found Psalm 103 to be a, a surprising but fitting uh, consideration for us this evening on Ash Wednesday. Uh, I want to acknowledge that in many ways, what we're doing here tonight uh, should feel a bit uncomfortable for us. In fact, the things that we're emphasizing this evening uh, are some of the more countercultural things that we could ever do as we gather together as a church. Because in the face of a culture that values fame and flash, uh, success and platform building, health and wealth, uh, trivialities or memes, we come together on Ash Wednesday and we are reminding each other of the sobering realities of what it means to be a human being in a fallen world. Uh, in many ways, uh, we're, we're confronted with this reality from the earliest pages of the Bible itself. In uh, Genesis chapter 2, God comes to, down to earth, the pinnacle of his creating activity, and he forms Adam, he forms man from the dust of the ground, and he breathes life into him. But then it does not take long until in Genesis 3, the man and the woman turn away from their loving creator. They listen to the voice of the serpent rather than the voice of their heavenly father. And therefore, the Lord tells Adam in Genesis 3, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This means, friends, that no matter how impressive we might look to other people or what we might even be prone to believe about ourselves, we must remember what the psalmist says here in Psalm 103. He says, for the Lord knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. That means he sees through all of the external impressions that we give off, 
and he sees right into the very essence of who we truly are. The Lord knows that we, deep down, are fragile and fearful, and we are weak and sinful. So in light of that reality, I want us to briefly explore how Ash Wednesday and this Lenten season is an invitation to three realities, to focus on these three realities. The first is the certainty of death, the second is the cause of our pain, and then thirdly, the cross of Christ. Let's begin by considering the certainty of death. If you look back at Psalm 103, beginning in verse 14, it says, For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Let me ask you tonight, when is the last time you thought about your own death? Now, I don't mean that in some kind of morbid sense. I mean it just as a gentle nudge. When is the last time you thought about the fact that one day you are going to die? And as you even think about that right now, how does that hit you? You see, if you're anything like me, we generally don't like to think about that. We know it's a reality, but we don't want to spend time pondering it. And the secular culture that we live in has pushed death to the peripheries. For most of us, we live in places that feel safe, we're relatively healthy, with friends and family who live in safe places that are relatively healthy, and that means we can rearrange our lives to avoid thinking about or coming in contact with the reality of death. And all of that is well and fine until it's not. Death has a way of showing up unexpectedly and without invitation. I mean, if we think about it, there is nothing more guaranteed in life than death itself. Unless the Lord returns soon, we are all going to die. The mortality rate remains one to one. And Ash Wednesday is an invitation to simply be honest about that reality and to approach it with a sober-mindedness. We need to be reminded that our life here in this world, in the scheme of eternity in human history, is relatively short, isn't it? The days might feel long, but the reality is most of us in this room don't know the names of our great-grandparents. Even if you did, how about your great-great-grandparents? And to make it even more sobering, that means that your great-grandchildren or your great-great-grandchildren won't know who you are either. Uh, The novelist Anne Lamont has famously said, a hundred years from now, all new people. Or as the psalmist put it, we are like the grass that withers and the flowers that fade. Time flies by, and before you know it, you've reached the end. As another author wisely put it, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. But hear me clearly on this. This does not mean that we become fatalists or stoics. Nor does it mean that we're just supposed to be okay with the reality of death. No, the scriptures tell us that death is an unwanted intruder. It is an unwelcome reality, a part of living in a fallen world. Death is actually presented as the great and final enemy to be destroyed in Paul's exhortation in 1 Corinthians 15. And God's word invites us to be honest and realistic about the reality of death. We are not to deny it, nor sentimentalize it, but rather humbly accept it as a certainty, and then to live out our life in light of the end. But critically, brothers and sisters, we do this by looking to Christ for wisdom and for help. 
Because while death is indeed an enemy, it is a defeated enemy. Even as we keep reading in Psalm 103, yes, our days are like grass. We are like the flowers that are here one day and gone the next. But verse 17 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, on his righteousness to children's children. There is something that lies beyond the grave itself. Christ has gone all the way through the darkness of death and emerged victoriously. So even though we feel death's shadow, and even though we feel the sting of death right now in this fallen world, one day it will be swallowed up forever. But this frees us to humbly remember and accept our own frailty, our own weakness, and our own mortality. We can therefore pray along with the psalmist in Psalm 90, teach me, Lord, to number my days, that I might gain a heart of wisdom. The certainty of death confronts us this evening. But secondly, we need to remember the cause of our pain. Esau Macaulay helpfully summarizes it like this. Lent is not a general sadness about the inevitability of death, but an explicitly Christian diagnosis of the cause of death. We sin and die because humanity rebelled against God. There is nothing natural at all about death. It is an alien intrusion into the good world God created. Through the imposition of the ashes, Ash Wednesday reminds us that death and sin cannot be completely separated. This does not mean a particular form of death is punishment for specific sins, but sin and death are partners. This is an important reminder. We must acknowledge that sin has not just happened to us, but we are all co-conspirators in the darkness that shrouds the world that we live in and the lives that we inhabit. And it is precisely because of sin, beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve, but continuing in us to this day, that death is a reality. Romans 3 says it as plainly as anywhere else. Paul says, there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has missed the mark in some way, shape, or form in our lives. And this is a time this Lenten season, to humbly acknowledge that reality. But at the same time, the invitation of the gospel is this. Don't play the game where you act like you have it all together. Jesus warns, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus comes as God in the flesh on a rescue mission to seek and save those who are lost and who have made a mess of their lives, and he bids us repent and believe. Turn away from your sin and all the chaos that it brings into your life and to the lives of the people around you, and believe in faith in me. By God's grace, turn into a new direction. But friends, this requires humility, and it requires honesty. Something that our flesh just seems to be resistant against. But while that humility and that honesty might feel like a thousand small deaths to you, there is a freedom in being fully known. And listen, brothers and sisters, remember, God knows your frame. He knows the truth about us. He knows that we are dust. But here's the incredible news of Psalm 103. Even though he knows all of this about us, he doesn't respond with a wagging finger of disappointment, but with open arms of grace. 
He isn't irritated with us. Instead, he looks on us with compassion. Look at the incredible promises that the psalmist rails off, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Those are incredible truths, aren't it? I mean, just think about one of those for a minute. I mean, he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. I mean, if you started walking east, when would you hit west? You never do. Turn around and walk west. When would you hit east? They're inseparably apart. And the Lord says, I've removed your sin that far apart. That's incredible news, isn't it? What a beautiful picture. Don't you want in on that? But listen, friends, that only starts by humbly and honestly confessing your sin. When we realize the depth of our problem and yet see that God's grace goes further still, we taste and we see just how good God's goodness and his grace is. And that leads us to the only place that we possibly could go this evening, our final consideration in the face of the certainty of death and the cause of our pain, we have to turn to the cross of Christ. Listen, in just a moment when some of our elders apply the ashes to our foreheads, they're going to do so in the sign of a cross. This is intentional because the cross is where all of these realities converge together upon Christ and him crucified. It is on the cross that we remember that Jesus came to bear the consequences of our sin in our place. It is where we remember that the very Son of God came and he took on our frame. And he did so in order that he might redeem and ransom us back to himself. And friends, that only happens through what he accomplishes on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago outside the gates of Jerusalem. And the psalmist, by the way, is writing all those incredible promises before he even knows what is to come. He only sees faintly what we now see in high definition. Those of us who live on this side of the cross can appreciate all of those promises, all of the character and nature of God in a far more profound way. The cross is where we see God's righteous justice simultaneously with his unending mercy. They come together in a beautiful way. The cross shows us the very character and nature of God, who will by no means overlook sin and wrongdoing, but who also graciously substitutes himself out of love in the place of the guilty. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, because on the cross, Jesus bore our sins and bore our iniquities in his body. So please hear me this evening. The season of Lent and Ash Wednesday is not about an angry God looking for us to beat ourselves up or feel bad enough about our sins so that he can be appeased. No, it is about a God who is full of kindness and mercy, who despite our rebellion intercedes on our behalf to rescue us from our sins 
and then who Sunday morning overcomes the grave and the power of sin and death in his resurrection. And Ephesians 2 tells us that God is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us in Christ. Nowhere else in the Bible is God described as being rich in anything. It's only in mercy. Again, Esau Macaulay puts it helpfully. He says, instead of becoming a source of despair, our sin becomes the arena of God's glory. He doesn't have barely enough grace to forgive us. He is rich in this stuff. It overflows from his very nature. Ash Wednesday invites an introspection that leads to an acknowledgement of our sin that, listen, collides with an explosion of God's grace. And no step in this process can or should be skipped. So friends, this evening, we remember the certainty of death. We humbly acknowledge it is a part of life in this fallen world. But we also remember that our Savior tasted death all the way through to its bitter end, both, he, both for us and with us, and emerged victorious. We also remember the cause of our pain. We remember our sin. We humbly confess and repent, turning away from that which has contributed to the problem back to God. And most importantly, we remember the cross of Christ, where the God who took on our frame to identify with us was crucified in our place. And for all who have put their faith in Christ, Paul says, we have been crucified with him. His death was our death, and his resurrection will one day be our resurrection. And listen, friends, in that day, it won't be merely to dust, but it will be to glory. So I want to invite at this time Pastor Rob and Pastor David to come forward. And uh, for all of us who are here, I want us uh, in this next part of our service just to pause and to reflect and to consider these realities that we've just discussed and to do so in a posture of prayer. And then uh, as you're ready, and for those who want to participate, and again, no pressure if you do not want to, uh, but for those who want to, uh, we're going to do this kind of like we do communion on Sunday mornings. So you're going to kind of exit to the outsides of the room, and then you're going to come down to the front. And uh, Pastor David and Pastor Rob will oversee uh, the imposition of the ashes. Um, we're a little skewed heavily on this side of the room, and so to make Pastor David not feel so lonely, feel free to make your way around to this side. Uh, listen, anyone in this room is welcome to participate. Uh, parents, if your kids want to participate, just help them out in the process. But uh, the theological symbol of truth that we are uh, remembering in Ash Wednesday is true of every single person in this room. And so parents, feel free to help your kids out if they want to participate. And uh, those of you with, with hair, unlike me, that's blocking your forehead, feel free to move that out of the way or hats, okay? Uh, we're going to be singing a few songs during this time. And uh, so feel free to take your time, pray, settle yourself before the Lord, and then you can come forward and receive the ashes. And then we will conclude our time of singing uh, with a doxology together. So let me start us with a time in prayer. And then I encourage you to... Uh, continue that prayer silently where you're at, and uh, when you're ready, if you want to participate, you can come forward and receive the ashes. Uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, we do thank you that you uh, show compassion on your children. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and kind in the face of our sin and our rebellion and of our missing of the mark. So Lord, I pray in this season of Lent as we enter into this tonight. I pray that you would remind us of uh, your glory and your goodness, that we would remember that it is your kindness, not your severity, that draws us to repentance, that we would take time to 
forsake some of the pleasures in our life or some of the distractions in our life to focus on you and the things of eternal importance, uh, that we would regularly consider the cross, we would turn from our sins, we would confess them, we would repent of them, we would walk in the light, we would have fellowship with one another in that way. And we pray this evening as we are marked with the sign of the cross, that we would remember our weakness and frailty, but just as much we would remember the power of the cross and the resurrection that we are stepping into in this season. Uh, remind us of your goodness, Holy Spirit, conform us to the image of Christ, and to bless us as we seek to be faithful as we step into this season. We pray that all in Christ's name. Amen.